Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, once, welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. I promise you tonight, and I hope I can keep to this promise, not to talk about any of the politics involved with these primaries. I, who am a political junkie, have had it up to here. You can't turn on the news. It's all Trump, uh, Bernie Sanders, Hillary. Uh, need a break. I need a break at least, and I'm surprised I'm saying that. I may break down and have to introduce peripherally some politics on occasion, but I'll do my damn best to keep away from the main characters involved. I want to start tonight uh, with Antoine Scalia. He is the Associate Justice of the Supreme Court for 30 years, who died a few days ago uh, at the age of 79. His death is a sad thing. He, he was an excellent jurist. He is a loss to the court. He is a loss to the country. Uh, he was a great legal mind, unquestionably. The only problem is I absolutely did not agree with his decisions. My whole legal career, this guy's been on the bench for 30 years. I was practicing many years before that and for many years after that. Uh, I just don't agree. He's an ultra-conservative, way to the right, too far to the right. Uh, I would call him a pivotal conservative. He was the pivotal conservative vote on the United States Supreme Court. He has restructured American democracy with ever greater amounts of corporate control with regard to the 5-4 decisions. There were so many 5-4 decisions where he was the instrumental figure, not necessarily the deciding vote, but the instrumental figure in coming up with a decision that supported and did big things for corporate America. He did not take into concern the man on the street. He was not for Main Street. He was, in effect, for Wall Street. And uh, that bothered me. The man never bent, <laughs> never bent. I don't think he was right. I think the pendulum has swung too far to the right, and hopefully uh, Obama will be able to get someone with a more liberal mind or a more moderate mind uh, approved, and we can get on with the business of government that is uh, more reasonable to the majority of the people and not to a special few. You have to remember that Scalia gave us Corporations are people. What a joke, but it's the law now. Corporations are people. Corporations can make big contributions now because they have a right to contribute to political elections. They contribute to the tune of millions of dollars. And uh, he just didn't. I don't know. How do I put this? He supported the weakening of the voting laws of this country, the civil rights law that were uh, hard fought for in the late 1960s, <clears throat> were, and which President Johnson got into force in effect, he, more than anyone else, has whittled down those voting laws. Uh, and that's just not right. Everyone should have a right to vote, and you don't make it harder for a black man or a poor man to vote. It's just that simple, but he did. Uh, so what is Lewis saying? He wasn't a good judge for the people. What's going to happen now, though? I don't know. You don't know. I'm going to tell you this. We're, we're going to see gridlock big time, I think. You thought you saw gridlock in Congress between the Democrats and the Republicans? This is going to be worse. This is going to be pure chaos. Don't forget, 
the next Supreme Court justice, whoever this person is, that is finally approved is going to be the deciding vote. He's going to be number five in that five and four decision route. And the Republicans want to stay with an ultra-conservative. The Democrats obviously want a liberal. It's going to take a moderate and hopefully one with some liberal leanings to be that person. Uh, the, ne- the thinking of the next judge is very important. We're either going to go down this track that Scalia uh, has taken us, that Lito has taken us, or we're going to go back to being what the Supreme Court was up until the early 1980s, from day one, going back to the late 1700s. Uh, justice was blind. It was above politics. It tried to be fair to everyone. Our court is no longer like that, and it has to go back to what it was. That is what Lewis thinks about the Scalia thing. Now I want to talk about Bill and Hillary Clinton and their their speaking fees. My God, they made a lot of money. I don't know why she wants to be president. She and Bill should take the hundred plus million dollars they made from speaking engagements and retire, enjoy a good life, lay on a beach, you know, go out, party, have a couple of drinks. Uh, but no, they're out there, and this is the kind of money they made and where it came from. There was a report 10 days ago by CNN documented report by CNN, I would assume a trusted source. Since 2001, Bill and Hillary, since 2001, have made 729 speeches, okay, 729 speeches, that that these are one-hour presentations, for a total of, you ready, $153 million dollars. $153 $153 million. It's an, that's in 15 years. Most people don't make that in 100 lifetimes. That's an average payday per speech of $210,795. Uh, it's just too much. <laughs> $7.7 million of that money came from 39 speeches made to big banks. You know, the people like Goldman Sachs, Citicorp, uh, Bank of America, the banks that gave us 2008 and brought this major recession to the United States. Well, they collect, of the $153 million, $7.7 million came from these banks. Hillary herself was responsible for bringing in $1.8 million uh, for, through the banks. This is all through May 1st, by the way, from 2001 to May 1st of uh, last year. Hillary made eight speeches in that time. You got $1.8 million from the banks. You got it from other sources, corporations, but that's from the banks alone. Additionally, this is a lot of money for people to be getting right away. Nothing wrong with it. This is America. May you make all the money you want. You know, some people are all-star baseball players, some all-star basketball players, professional football players. They're professional politicians. They struck gold. God bless them. But that doesn't mean she should be president, because I do believe when you take that kind of money from someone, there is you are beholden. You can't avoid not being beholden. That doesn't mean you do everything they want, but there are going to be situations where a favor is needed. And it won't be a big deal, but it may be worth billions of dollars to that bank and nothing to the little guy. And you do it. That's life, okay? Uh, in the last quarter... In the last quarter, the last quarter of 2015, 
October, November, December. One super PAC, one super PAC contributed to Hillary Clinton $15 million. They brought in $15 million to assist her in her election efforts. A lot of money she's bringing in from all over. There have to be resulting obligations. One of our wars today really is with the banks, is with Wall Street, and we have to correct that situation as part of getting our whole society, our whole government on the right track again. And I'm beginning to, I'm, I was all for Hillary at the beginning. I'm beginning to question whether I am anymore. Uh, she just scares me with all this money. And I'm beginning to think also, she represents yesterday. She and her husband are yesterday. It's a new world. And, and that's, rep, that's where these young kids come in who are supporting Bernie Sanders. So we'll see what happens. This one you're going to laugh at, you're going to smile at. It depends whether you're male or a female. Kentucky. Kentucky uh, passed, had a bill passed in their legislature, their state legislature this past week, to make Viagra and Cialis difficult for a man to buy. Kentucky men, who is it, the law directed against Kentucky men who have erectile dysfunction? They can't get it up. A female lawmaker, uh, Representative Mary Lou Marzian, submitted a bill to the Kentucky legislature to compel men to accept health restrictions like men proposed for women. The men who are legislators are always passing laws, you know, for regarding birth control, abortions, what you have to do before you have abortion, have this pipe put up between your legs to see what's going on, have to visit the doctor 48 hours before and go through all this sort of stuff. And women are irritated by this because it's men, not women, telling women what to do with their bodies, okay? Now, she wants men to have as many restrictions on their sex lives as the women do, okay? The restrictions to proper health care. Just so happens Kentucky has a new governor. He's to the ultra-right. Okay, and he's got all kinds of bills going into the legislature to restrict abortion rights. Already one bill has been passed doing that. Now, Mary Lou Manigan's bill uh, is directed at men who request medication for rectal dysfunction. Again, Viagra and Cialis. Cialis. Her bill adds four steps that a man must go through in order to get Viagra or Cialis, drugs to assist with erectile dysfunction. Here are the four steps in her law, and if you don't, if a man does not do this, he doesn't qualify uh, to get the medical assistance required to correct his erectile dysfunction. One, he must go to, must perform two office visits on two different calendar dates before a healthcare practitioner prescribes a drug for erectile dysfunction. Two different doctors, two different dates before you even qualify to get a prescription for Viagra Cialis. He can only be prescribed the drug if he is married. He must produce a signed and dated letter from his current spouse providing consent for the prescription. And he must make, he must make a sworn statement, I love this, on a Bible 
that he only will use the prescription when having sexual relations with his current spouse. Now, obviously, her whole purpose is to show, it's to counter what the men have been doing to the women and saying, back off, guys, this is how stupid it is. My rules are stupid, but the rules you voiced on us are equally as stupid, if not more stupid. Her bill has no chance of passing. She knows it, but she wanted to make a point. Basically, what she's saying is what's good for the goose is good for the gander, and vice versa. Okay, now. And again, her purpose, her purpose. She wants to get government out of personal female medical decisions. Get government out of personal female medical decisions. And you know what? I think she's right. I think these old men, even young men, in the very state legislatures, in the Congress of the United States, have had their heads up the women's asses and have tried to control women's bodies. It's wrong. It's wrong how far this thing has gone. My God, Roe versus Wade was, what, 50 years ago? We're still fighting abortion. I don't believe it. And it's going to go on for another 50 years. Uh, gay marriage, mark my words, 50 years from now, they're still going to be fighting gay marriage. Okay, moving on. I do a little bit of reading, and every now and then I come across a quote uh, that I'd like to share with you. There's, there's just something about it. You know, a few lines of simple words sometimes says a lot. Benjamin Disraeli, he was a big-time politician uh, back in the 1800s in England. Benjamin Disraeli. He said, and I quote, follow this, a man who is not a liberal at 16 has no heart. A man who is not a liberal at 16 has no heart. A man who is not a conservative at 60 has no head. Very true. A man who is not a liberal at 16 has no heart. A man who is not a conservative at 60 has no head. Kathleen Parker, columnist, Washington Post, recently wrote, and this was with regard to young women seeming to be in support of Bernie Sanders today as opposed to Hillary Clinton. Young women being in support of Bernie Sanders as opposed to Hillary Clinton. She wrote, uh, Kathleen Parker recently, and I quote, Young liberal women, like their male counterparts, are attracted to the cool old guy, that's Bernie, cool old guy, because he's promising a dream in which the rich have less and the poor have more. Robin Hood is so awesome, unquote. Young liberal women, like their male counterparts, are attracted to the cool old guy because he's promising a dream in which the rich have less the rich have less and the poor have more. Robin Hood is so awesome. My con column for this week is published as the stance tomorrow. Uh, I titled it, The Mightiest Pirate of All Time, A Woman. The Mightiest Pirate of All Time, A Woman. Uh, I was talking about, you never heard about her. Uh, I wish, if anyone who's listening has ever heard of her, Please drop me an email. Uh, I, I'm just curious. I never knew about her until I tripped across her about two or three weeks ago. Her name, Cheng Ai Seo. Cheng Ai Seo, Chinese. 
She ruled the Chinese Sea, this woman. She was tougher, uh, and she was tougher than the men. She was popular. She was a well-known pirate of her day. She was more popular and tougher than the, the people we know, Blackbeard, William Kidd, Ann Bonney, Grace O'Malley, all those pirates were nothing compared to Cheng Iseo. It's an interesting story, her life. It's exciting. It's from rags to riches. She started off as a Cantonese prostitute in a brothel at 14 or 15. She, she died at 69 in business, filthy rich. Along the way, she ended up, while she was still a pirate, with 400 Chinese 20-gun junks. Four, that's 400 vessels with 20 guns on them and 30,000 pirates under her control. 30,000 pirates. She was numero uno. It comes out tomorrow. Read it. You'll love it. If you don't, you're not down here in the Keys and do not have the actual paper conclave available to you, the column on Thursday will be uh, will appear on Key West Lou, my website, Key West Lou. It's in the bar on top, Conclave column. Just hit it, and you can read it. I, I strongly recommend this one. Now, some things are stranger than fiction. We have heard this all our lives, stranger than fiction. So let me tell you about a scenario that I have been observing for the past 24 hours. It involves Elliot Spitzer. You remember Elliot Spitzer, governor of New York, attorney general of New York, a real hard ass, put a lot of big Wall Street people in jail uh, who tried, tried to put him in jail who didn't belong there. I'm against Wall Street in a lot of ways, but he tried to put some people in who didn't belong there. He, he prosecuted p- prostitutes big time. And then what happened? You recall several years ago, uh, it was discovered he was in a Washington, D.C. hotel room with a prostitute, a hooker that was costing him $4,000. She was from New York City, but he's afraid somebody might catch him in New York. So he paid her way on the train plus the $4,000. It was 4000 plus expenses. It, the story goes he wore his socks when he was having sex with her. It always bothers me when I hear about a man who wears his socks to bed when he's going to have sex. I don't understand why. That's immaterial, but I thought I would throw it in. Uh, anyhow, he's at the Plaza Hotel about three, two or three days ago, and he's in a room registered to him, Elliot Spitzer. Uh, there's a claim made by a woman that she was assaulted by him, the woman in the hotel room. When he was not in the room, she called 911. And she said, he cho- on 9-11, she said, he choked me, he beat me. When the police got there, she had a, she had a significant cut on her arm. Uh, and she said, Elliot Spitzer did it. Well, all I could think of, and you're probably thinking of right now, if you hadn't, haven't heard the story yet, is doesn't this guy ever learn? I mean, he's coming back. He ran for controller of New York. He lost. But he had the opportunity to run. He now has his own television talk show. What the hell is he doing? Is he doing? He's crazy. Uh, he hasn't learned. Well, twelve hours later, this morning, uh, another set of facts come out surrounding this situation. The true facts appear to be that Spitzer is really the, the victim here. He is the victim. The lady was uh, Savetlana Travis, twenty-six-year-old beauty, Russian. 
high-end hooker, $1,000 for one hour, $5,000 a night. She and Spitzer are friends, though, for several years. Now, I've been friends, not sexual friends. They have been friends. And, of course, she thinks Spitzer was her boyfriend. He says no, but that's neither here nor there. They've been friends. And she was all screwed up the other night. And she called Spitzer and says, get a room. I've got to talk. She was very agitated, sounded off, sounded off the wall. She was off the wall. She told Spitzer. Spitzer saw her two times in that day. Uh, there was a break when he left the hotel. He, she said, I'm going back to Russia. Spitzer tried to dissuade her, uh, and he left. Then he came back another time. She was very upset. She says, I'm leaving tonight for Russia, and for some reason he thought it was bad for her. But she says, I'm going. And she was sort of hysterical. Lunacy might be the better word as it is described. When he was not in the room, she intentionally broke a glass and sliced her arm. When she was taken to the hospital, no one seen Elliot Spitzer, by the way, the authorities at this time. When she was taken to the hospital, uh, she told the hospital people the whole story was a lie uh, and the reason she did it. And she also sent an email to Spitzer explaining this. She was afraid she needed some medical attention. She was afraid if they came and saw her without some explanation because of her agitated state, she would, they would think she was a nut, and they would put her in a hospital or a mental institution for 48 hours, 72 hours, two months, what have you, and she didn't want to go through that. She wanted to leave that night for Russia. It was an obsession, okay? Uh, and she did fly to Russia that night. And the email came the next day to Elliot Spitzer apologizing. She made up the reasons again uh, to on 9-11 and to the police because she, they didn't, she didn't want them to keep her in the United States and that she would do anything to help Spitzer uh, if he has any problems. So this is a stranger. This is a truth being stranger than fiction. The first story fit Elliot Spitzer. The second one doesn't. I'm sure he's a good guy. I don't believe he might not have had sex with her on occasion. Uh, but here's a guy that got taken advantage of. Uh, the Pope, Pope Francis. I gotta, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Catholic Church here. I'm a falling away Catholic. That is why I'm talking about them. I love God. Uh, I love the Catholic Church, but they're all screwed up. Uh, here's the story. Pope Francis, who I think is a great pope, He's trying to open uh, the doors to the church and the windows to let in some fresh air. We haven't had anybody like him since the early 1960s. Uh, he, he, he wants everyone to understand that God and the church is for everyone. You can't throw people out, you know, because maybe I'm, I'm minimizing. They spit on the sidewalk. They committed a certain type of moral sin. You can't do that, he says. God loves everyone. Okay? Well, he's not liked. I don't know why they don't like him. The cardinals who elected him, the bishops who supported him, almost uniformly disliked this man, uh, especially the American bishops, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Uh, their headquarters is in Denver. Their budget is in the millions. They are the ultra-right of the Catholic Church. They are just like the religious right on the Republican side. In fact, they're in cahoots with each other. They're always talking, sponsoring different events, etc. Anyhow, these people voted for him. The Cardinals voted for him. And I assume God inspired the Cardinals to pick this little guy from Argentina to be the next pope. No one had ever heard of him. 
but now they're sorry because he wants to change things, okay? In fact, not only, you know what they said about him recently? This, the, the American bishops, and I quote this, that Pope Francis is a very present danger. He is a very present danger. So much so, he is worse than the fanatics of the world, including ISIS, the Islamic State. Now, that's wild stuff to say, when really he is a breath of fresh air. Uh, an author, Robert Mission, who writes about the Catholic Church frequently, he says, and he's correct, change is always a problem. He wrote an article on January 18th uh, this year in the National Catholic Reporter, and uh, he just says, everybody screwed up in the Catholic Church, and they're not supporting him. They go behind his back. Now, let me tell you very quickly one way they went behind his back. He said, he said that we've got to do something about pedophiles within the Catholic Church, these priests, and every time you know about one, the bishops have to report it. Well, while he's taken off for Mexico, and he's involved, he's down there now, the Pope, the, the bishops had a meeting with new bishops. They were teaching them what they have to do. They were taking the new bishops to school. And they said, you have no obligation as bishops to disclose child sex abuse, pedophilia. My God, this is in direct contradiction to the, the, the orders, the directions of the Pope himself. And they're covering the ass of the priests who get in trouble, which the church has been doing for 20, 30 years. They just send them to another parish or another country to act as a priest and, and screw other children. Boom. That's it, very simply. Anyhow, uh, so the bishops were told that. And they said the families and the victims should report it, not the priest, not the bishop. Well, the next day the press hit them hard, and they backed off a little bit. The bishops, they says, we recognize civil authority, because civil authority in this country, my friend, says the bishop must report it if he is aware. One bishop in Philadelphia several years ago went to jail because he didn't, as you will recall. Anyhow. Uh, the next day they said, oh, we recognize civil authority. What we really meant was, in the first instance, the victim and family should report it, but if they do not, then the bishop should, which is a crock. The Pope says you report it if you know it. They're going behind his back. They're not cooperating with the Pope, and it's, they're screwing them. It's a, it's a bad situation. I assume in the end the Pope was going to survive this. He seems to be doing good. Uh, but they're giving him a very, very hard time. Uh, let's see. Now, we just want to talk very briefly about the destruction of the middle class. The middle class is, is destroyed. It's not being destroyed. It needs to be resurrected. American society cannot survive without a middle class. We cannot survive with a 1%, 99%. Income inequality, okay, is something that uh, has to be corrected, you know? And you've you got to bring the unions back, too. Someone's got to speak for the workers in this country again. The pendulum's gone too far to the right. Congress doesn't care about the people. You know I'm correct. Wall Street doesn't care about the people. The people try to help themselves, but how the hell are they going to do it if there's no jobs or their salaries are too low? If this continues, if this destruction of the middle class continues, ultimately, 
I believe it will be the end of American society as we know it and as we knew it. Things can only get worse. They can't get better. I don't know how to correct this to resurrect the middle class. All I know is we can't keep going down this road. That's the show for this week. I hope you have enjoyed it. I thank you again for joining me. Uh, I always appreciate the fact that you do uh, tune in to listen. This show is archived, as you know, on Black Talk Radio, YouTube, and I'm also linked to the Key West Lou website. I wrote a book, The World Upside Down, two years ago. Sold good at the beginning, isn't selling well now. If those of you who haven't read it, go buy the book. Not because I want to make money. I make 33 cents, I think, on each copy. They sell for $3 and change on Amazon.com. But it's interesting, and I'd like to share my thoughts there with you also. Again, thank you for joining me. Talk with you next week.